0: powerful songs of worship, the holiness of God. That's what we're going to look at today in Revelation chapter 4 if you want to turn there. Last week we closed out chapter 3. We're ready for now our study on chapter 4 and as you're turning there, I've got to tell you a little something I heard this week. There was a pastor, he he was new in town and so he thought, I'm going to I'm going to go around town, I'm going to knock door to door, I'm going to hand them a card, and I'm going to invite them to church. And so he was walking around, and he was doing that, and knocking on doors, and he came to this one door, and he knocked on the house, and he could tell somebody was in there, but they weren't answering the door. And he knocked on the door again. No one answered, but he could hear scurrying around. And he thought, hmm, well... I'm going to leave my card in the door. And he wrote Revelation 3.20 on the card as he put it in the door. And he walked off. Well, Sunday comes and one of the ushers walk up to him and hands him something. And he looks at it. It's that card that he had stuck in the door with Revelation 3.20. Underneath of it was uh, written Genesis 3.10. Now, we, we studied the last couple of weeks Revelation 3.20. That's the one that he wrote when he knocked. Because that's the, the scripture that says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and, and dine with thee. <laughs> Written underneath of it was Genesis 3.10. Which is from the garden scene. And it says in Genesis 3.10, I was afraid... <laughs> You you peeked, didn't you? I was afraid and I hid myself for I was naked and ashamed. <laughs> so anyway, anyway. It's good to see everybody. And we're we're going to move on to a new stage now. I get tingles thinking about where we're going because we are now going to a new era of history we're moving on to chapter 4 and man we're going to see some heavy duty things today some heavy duty reading in this chapter and in the coming couple of weeks we're going to be studying angels living creatures people with faces like lions and eagles and men and a calf and 24 elders and thrones and all kinds of things What's that all about? Well, we're going to start unraveling all of this. And as we go through it, we're going to make we're going to stop and make points that are applicable to us as the church. And today it's about God on his throne. Because as we as we get there, you know, we closed last week with he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Now we're moving on into something else. Because it says let He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. That last word of that last verse, churches, is not mentioned again until Revelation chapter 22. And there it's mentioned again that the Spirit is writing to these things to the churches. So everything that is bracketed in between is still for us. But it's telling us of things that the church is not going to see because we're going to be out of the picture. After chapter 3, we are gone and out of the picture and a new era of time and history starts to happen upon this earth. And Jesus said, I'm sending my angel to testify these things to you and to show you these things for the churches. And it's not mentioned anymore. He says, I am going to reign. I'm going to show you what heaven is like, and I'm going to show you what it's going to be like down there. And he says this, and this is why we're going to study a little bit of chapter 4 and 5 at least. I don't know where the Spirit will lead us after that to whether we go off into some gospels and into some epistles, but I think it's important we at least get to that point right now. Why? Because this book begins and ends... In Revelation 1 and 3 and 22 and 7 with the words that blessed are those that hear these things and do what is written in them. And you know sometimes we need <clears throat> good advice and sometimes we need the bad advice to prompt us to heed the good advice. And that's why I think part of this is written. Terrible things are going to take place from chapter 6 to 18. The great tribulation. Chapters 4 and 5 is kind of that interlude period of when the church is removed and some things happen in heaven that we get to see this transition. And then 6 through 18 comes the bombardment of those who are upon this earth with all kinds of wrath from God. We don't want to be in that, do we? We want to be removed. What did he tell Philadelphia? How can we be removed and not be a part of this? In Revelation 3.10, he said, Because you kept the words of my testimony and of my perseverance, I will also protect and keep you from the time of trial and tribulation that it's about to take place upon the entire earth. That's why we want to know about these things and why we want to not be a part of it. And we want to heed what he's about to tell us to do. And as we study this book... In this chapter, in chapter 4, we're going to see how things are done in heaven. What is taking place and how things are done. And why is that important? Because Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, when he was given all of the Sermon on the Mount there, the the most wonderful sermon ever, he said in Matthew 6, I'm going to give you a model to pray. They wanted to know how to pray. And he said, them pray such as this our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done what on earth as it is in heaven so isn't it kind of important now to, to we get a glimpse of what's going on in heaven so that we can imitate that on earth his will is for us to do on earth as it is being done in heaven And that's what we're just about ready to get to see. So if you're there with me, in Revelation chapter 4, let's read those 11 verses together and find out the marvelous things that we're about to study. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing in heaven. It was open, and the first voice that I had heard, the one that was like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. And immediately I was caught up in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven. And there was one sitting upon that throne. And he who was sitting there was like a jasper stone and sardius in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne, it was like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders. They were sitting, clothed in white garments, golden crowns upon their heads. And out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire that was burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God." And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass. It was like crystal. And in the center and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in the front and behind. The first creature was like a lion. And the second one was like a calf. The third had the face like that of a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings and full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say what we just sang. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits upon the throne, to Him that lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne, and they worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, and as they do, they are saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and our God. To receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And because of your will. They were created and they exist. Whew. That's some heavy stuff, isn't it? I mean, that's some heavy stuff. It's good. Oh, it's going to get good. That's real heavy. I am glad that John not only was given this vision of grandeur of heaven and what it's going to be like but i'm also glad of something else i'm glad that the lord told him to write and to bring it to us because you know in daniel chapter 12 daniel saw some great things and daniel started to write and he said no don't write because it's not the time it's not the time for you to put this in writing this is for the end of days so don't write what you just saw man i want to know what he saw John was given a vision and he got to write and he got to give it to us. And this is it. And the first thing we see is heaven. And I want you to know that we're not here anymore when this takes place. Verse 1 says, after these things, and I'm going to go into that more depth. But after the church age, we ended with chapter 3. This is the things for those that has ears to hear to the church. After that, these things begin to happen. What has just happened is what's in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. When it says the Lord himself shall descend. And there's going to be a shout. And there's going to be the trump of the archangel. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up with them in the air. And there we shall always be with them forever in the presence of the Lord. That's what has just happened at the beginning of chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 1, John was commanded by the Lord to write some things. And what he said was, The one in chapter 1 who had a voice like a trumpet, like a commanding power on the battlefield, the trumpet that sounds through above all the noise and the din, he commanded me to write. And he said this in verse, chapter 1 verse 19. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen. That's what you have seen up to this point. That vision of Christ walking among His candlesticks, which are the churches. And the way He was dressed in appearance. Write what you have seen. Put it down. And then He says, write about the things which are. That's chapters 2 and 3, the church age. That is what is, are, right now for them. And then He says... Write the things that will take place after these things. It's a specific word in the original language called tauta after these things. It means a new epic, a new era, a whole new category of things. So you're going to write what you've seen, what is, and then what's going to take place in something totally different than what is right now. Three separate and distinct categories. The church age is a part of the middle category. But then, he says, I want you to write what's going to take place after these things. And that is Meta tauta. And then if you look up there, chapter 4, verse 1, what does it say? Both John and Jesus is going to make it distinct that we're entering into this period. Because John says, after these things I looked... So here's his version. After these things I looked, and behold, there was a door standing open in the heaven. And the voice of the one like a trumpet that I heard at the first in chapter 1 said unto me, Come up here, and I, Jesus Christ, will show you the things that are going to take place after these things. After chapters 2 and 3 in that church age, meta tauta, a new beginning, a new era, and we are gone from these things. They make it clear that we're going to be out, and the third era of history is beginning right now. The things that take place after our age, the great tribulation that's going to come. And from chapter 6, like we said, through 18, It's going to get intense and then more intense and then insanely intense. And we don't want to be here. And I think that's why it's written for us to learn because I'm going to end the lesson with this, but I want to say it in the middle too for us. It's that he gave us in all of those seven letters, two things. He gave us the rewards and we've studied those the last two weeks, the 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 things that prompt us by what his love is going to give to us. Some people are motivated by that. but Some people are only motivated by fear. (laughs) Work out your own salvation and fear and trembling, it says. So some people need a little bit further tweaking to get them to kind of have the ears to hear and to understand. And that's what chapters 6 through 18 are. I mean, it's going to be intense through there. But he says this, look, as soon as he started writing, and we get a catch of glimpse of this, what is the first thing that Jesus Christ reveals when he says, I'm going to show you the things that are to come? And he goes through that open door by the Spirit into the heavenly realm, and what's the first thing he sees there in verse 2? Immediately, I was caught up, and behold... A throne was standing in heaven and one sitting upon the throne. The thing that they want us to know is kingdom authority. We just sung that kingdom authority. Thing that he wants us to know when we step through that open door that your life on earth, I was sitting right here on the throne. And you said that you're a part of my kingdom. I am your king. I'm not the man upstairs. I'm glad you put that in here. I'm not the old man. I'm not, no. I'm God. And I'm on a throne. And you need to take me serious. If you got an ear to hear, you better hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He says, I was in the Spirit, and I saw the one sitting upon the throne. And his attention is fixated there. It could have been on a lot of things. If you start looking around as he continued talking, well, there's 24 thrones with elders sitting upon them, And there's these four living creatures. That might have been the first thing that you think of because, man, they look so out of place, don't they? I mean, that's kind of out there. Now, the first thing that's important, the throne and the one Who sits upon the throne. That was the focal point. That's what this whole chapter revolves around. What was it in Acts chapter 2. In that first gospel sermon. That Peter gave. And the people were gathered around. And he said you know we're not drunk like you're thinking. That was a noise of a spirit coming in. And this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. That this was going to be poured out among us. And he goes on to tell them. That this Jesus Christ that you crucified. Is now both Lord and Christ. And he has been exalted. He has been lifted up. And he has been raised to the right hand of the Father. And he sits upon his throne. And from that moment on. He laid claim to the throne. Because he overcame. What did he promise us last week at the end of chapter 3? If you open the door and you hear my voice and you overcome like I overcame, I will give you the right to sit on my throne with me in the heavenly realm. And the first thing that we see on the after these things is Jesus the Christ sitting upon his throne. It's no joke. This is it. And it's kingdom authority. And that's what he's wanting to know. The first thing that we see. He's been raised up. He has authority. I looked up the definition of a throne. Because we talked about the British throne too. And who the ascension of the succession was last week. The definition of a throne is rulership and authority over the kingdom. So whenever... The first thing that we see there immediately is the throne and he who sat upon them. What the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to know is kingdom, authority, rulership, and power. I am the one that is in charge of my kingdom and you are my subjects. You live in my kingdom if you profess me. What did he say upon his resurrection in Matthew 28, 18, 19, 20, all through there? He said, All authority has been given to me on heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them, what? To observe All things whatsoever I have taught you. And I will be with you always, yea, even unto the end of the age. All authority. I'm now king. I made it. I've resurrected. I beat death. And I am king. I now have the throne at the right hand of God. And all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Psalm 45 Because without rule and without authority, you have anarchy and chaos. If you don't have authority, rules, a kingdom, a structure, you have anything goes, you have anarchy among the people, and you have chaos, you have fear, and you have no freedom. You have no control. Psalm 45 says this, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And you're talking about Isaiah 6. I know you are, aren't you? Because he signs that every time with his email. Here I am, send me. Go into Isaiah chapter 6 with me for a moment there. What's it say? In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord exalted and lifted up. He's sitting on his throne These are grand pictures of a kingdom and power. I seen him exalted and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the entire temple of God and smoke was coming up and filling the area as I looked at this. And then he says this, above it stood seraphim. Those are those mighty angels with six wings. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he was able to fly around with. And then it says the angels cried one to another again. What did they say? <laughs> right. Holy, holy, holy. Man, we just don't understand what worship and who we're worshiping sometimes. Man, holy is the lord god even these angelic beings that's all that they are doing is praising and telling how holy he is is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations now get this the foundations and the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who cried out and the temple was filled with smoke man that's spookiest That's the word that came into my mind whenever I was writing this and studying and meditating. I'm like, what's spookiest? I guess I wanted to make a combination kind, kind of between scary or ominous and something that was like glorious at the same time. So it's kind of like spookiest, man. It's glorious, but yet it's kind of scary at the same time. You know what Isaiah said when he saw this? He didn't say spookiest. He said Woe is me! You know what that is in the Hebrew? I went in there and looked it up. Oi! You've heard people holler oi. That's what he hollered. He saw the Lord on His throne and lifted up, and he saw the smoke, and he saw the train fill the temple, and he saw the angels of the seraphim. Oi! I'm undone. He people will tell you, yeah, I. I spoke with God or I saw Jesus and he was like my buddy. Every time a person even sees an angel, they fall over as a dead man. Somebody tells you that, don't believe them. Because you see the glory of God, you are going to fall over. Daniel did it. Isaiah did it. John did it in Revelation 1. And if John, who was the apostle that Jesus loved falls over on his face as a dead man, you better believe that if you actually saw him, you, you would really know it if you were still alive. Oi, He says, for I am ruined. I'm undone. What it means is I am devastated. I am, I am taken out of here. I am not going to make it through this. I am going to perish. Why? Why? Think about all we say and do and what our life exudes. Look at what he says. Here's, here's a prophet of God. I am a man of unclean lips. And I'm hanging out with a bunch of people who have unclean lips. So, oi, woe is me. I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then what happened Before the Lord could speak to him and before he could speak back, what happened? One of those mighty angels with six wings flew over to the altar that has the coals and he took some tongs and he grabbed a coal and he flew right down to Isaiah's lips and he sealed those lips with that hot coal. And he said, there, your iniquity and your impurity has been taken out and burned off and your sin forgiven you. And then the next thing that happened was a voice from that throne asking a question. Same question he's asked of all of us because we have a commission to go and to teach all people. The Lord says, who will I send? Who will represent us on this earth? And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. And so what did the Lord tell him? Here's the message that the Lord wanted Isaiah to take back to his people, his subjects. The kingdom of Israel upon whom this Lord sits upon the throne with his train filling the temple. He says, tell the people, you keep on hearing. My folks are presenting the word to you. I keep giving you my word. You keep on hearing, but you won't listen. You keep on having eyes that see what I'm telling you, but you won't understand. You just won't get it. Therefore, the time has come that I'm going to render your heart, your eyes, your ears to where you're just not going to hear from now on. Tell them that. They're going to be dull and dim. You see, the Lord of hosts, That means the Lord Sabaoth or the Lord of the armies is what the Lord of hosts means. He's getting tired of people rejecting his word, rejecting him as king, rejecting him as authority over his kingdom and wanting to do what they want to do. And he says, I'm tired of it. This goes to my kingdom and tell them, Go ahead and do what you're going to do because destruction's going to come. It hasn't happened. It was the message in Isaiah's day. It was the message in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 that he just gave us. And that day is now being presented to us in Revelation chapter 4 as we see the first thing as the Lord is coming upon the earth to judge it of those who are remaining through here, to give them some trouble and tribulation, we are seeing the throne of the one who says, okay, I've been telling you, I told you seven times in the last two chapters, he that has ears to hear, let him hear what I'm trying to say to my kingdom, the church. Now, subjects of the king and his kingdom have to operate under the laws of that kingdom. And what the ruler dictates and set forth as law. I, I'll never forget as a kid watching the Ten Commandments. And I can still hear them saying, So let it be written. So let it be done. When they made a law and it was written, It's to be done. So let it be written. Let it be done. The Lord says, I have written it. I've asked you to have ears to hear it. So let it be done. He gives that edict to all of us to teach His Word. But also to the church. He writes to Timothy as the pastor of the church there. He says, I'm leaving you in Ephesus for a reason. I'm going. I'm bringing you here. You know what I teach in every church in every place. So I want you to go there and teach the Word of God and instruct the people there The men not to teach a strange or a false doctrine to my people. Those folks, in verse 7 there, they want to be teachers. They desire to be teachers and teach what they want to do. But they don't know anything about what they are saying and what they are trying to communicate to the people. It is a false statement. They are running around, it says, making confident, bold statements about What they think is truth, but they have no idea how far they have strayed. You know how far they've strayed from the truth? If you go down to verses 19 and 20, Paul continues telling Timothy a couple of them in verse 20, of whom are Himaeus and... I don't have him up there. And Phanangenes or something like that. But he says in verse 20, I have gave them over to Satan. That's deep. I have turned them over to Satan that they will learn not to blaspheme the word of God and teach a false doctrine. Chapter 2, as we go on, he says, I want you to remain there and to teach the truth. Of what is there. And he goes on in chapter 2. And these four chapters are a part of our Berean study this week. That I hope that you will take the time to look at. As we go through it this week. Chapter 2 deals with prayer. Prayer life. What we pray about. Not fully but just hinting at some of the things. It gives us a glimpse of prayer. After that it gives us a glimpse of adornment and beauty, and what God looks at as beauty, and then how we are to receive the Word of God. And then he goes on to chapter 3, and he tells him what leadership is, the who, the what, what are the qualifications. And then, after he has talked in chapter 2 and chapter 3 about how to receive my Word, and about the leadership, and about who is doing that, then he says this in 1 Timothy 3, in verse 15, I am writing you, Timothy, these things to teach them so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the house of God, which is the church of God. It is the living God's pillar and support of the truth of the word of God. So the church is supposed to be a pillar And the support of the truth in the community. And I can't have my church portraying me in an untruthful way. I've handed those guys over to be dealt with. You teach the truth. Show them what it is. It's the pillar and ground of truth. If the church doesn't teach truth to those in the community, who will? The world's not going to teach them the truth. We have to remain faithful. Why? Because we serve a king. It's his kingdom. It's his authority. It's his, so let it be written, so let it be done. I don't have the ability to change what that is. So he says, take this. Why did the Lord have to write the seven epistles to the churches? So you know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do this, not do this. If you overcome... Look at the blessings that's in store. If you don't, man, I don't want to be a goat. You, th- you think you're all sheep. I don't want you to be surprised on that day. So follow my word. I am the one, he said in chapter 1 of this book, that walks among the candlesticks, which is my church. I examine, I watch, I know what is going on. Pergamum he said. You have false teachers. You're putting stumbling blocks before my people. Repent or I will come quickly and make war with you from the sword of my mouth. To Thyatira, he said, you tolerate Jezebel and her teaching of false doctrine. Repent, Or I, the one who is the Lord that has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like red hot burnished brass that just came out of the furnace, I am going to come and I will kill her children with pestilence and those who follow her falsehoods as well. I will do this. What did he say in chapter 2 and verse 23 when he said that? He said, I will do this so that all the churches... All of them will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts of people. And I will give to each one according to their deeds. Sardis, you're a dead church. You've totally forsaken my word and my law and my kingdom. You better get on track and remember and repent of these things, he said. If not, I will come like a thief. You remember when we talked about that. I will destroy you if you don't repent. Then Laodicea, we just finished with that one. He said, you have forsaken my guidance. I've been telling you and I've been talking and I provided you with blessings, but now you say it was all you. I have need of nothing else and I don't need you or your word. I have everything that I need. He says, I'm standing at the door and I knock. I want to give you counsel to open your eyes and apply the eye salve. And I want you to listen and buy of me and invest in that gold that is my word. Will you not hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches? So now what we have in chapter 4, our text of today, is just like Isaiah's day. The Lord himself sits on the throne and he's gave us counsel and he's gave us his word. And what he desires... He wants us to be like Philadelphia was. Remember Philadelphia, chapter 3, verse 10. Because you kept my word and the perseverance of it, I will also, now get this, I will also keep you from the hour of testing which is coming on all those that dwell upon the earth. If you listen, if you persevere, I will keep you from about what's getting ready to happen. And that's what we're moving into in our text in chapter 4. Those who were faithful, those who didn't give in, they persevered. Guess what? There's another song. I don't know if you all know it. There's a song that goes, Jesus is my ticket to heaven. Oh, it's going to be so nice. Jesus is my ticket to heaven. Because he's already paid the price. Those that persevered, those that listen, they're already standing in chapter 4 in the heavenly realm because Jesus was their ticket. And they listened to their king, the one who was over the kingdom. I have kept you like I promised you in Philadelphia from the hour of trial that's getting ready to happen. I arose from the dead. My resurrection secured it. By power we have the kingdom. And I want to give it to you. I want you to be a part of this. Look at what we're going to have up there. Man, in the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about that throne. What does that emerald rainbow mean around it? What does it mean when he is like the jasper and the sardine stone? What's it mean about the ones, the 24 thrones and the elders and the crowns? And what's the four living? Man, we're going to. Dissect that and come across with it. There's some exciting stuff. But the first thing he wanted us to see. Back to Revelation 4. As we begin to prepare for this. The first thing he wants us to see. Is the throne. And the one who sits upon the throne. His majesty. Kingdom authority. How are you following what I gave you to do? Because we discover There's going to be eight things in the next two chapters in heaven that we're going to look at. Eight things in heaven, and the first thing is the king, the crown, the throne, the authority of the kingdom. And we're going to study all of these different things. Why are they decked out like that and all the rest of the angels aren't? Why is only 24 of them elders? And why are only 24 of them have thrones? And why is only four called special living creatures and we're going to get into that. But you know what? A part of all of these rewards, the things that he's been promising those who overcome, who overcome death, who overcome all of these things, he said, I give you according to your deeds, didn't he? The more faithful you are in loving him and serving him, And holding on to his word of truth, the more reward there will be. There's a certain crown for this and a certain crown for that. We're going to find out that those angels that are awarded these things were because of their service. They were awarded according to their deeds. And it's going to be that way. It's not all going to be the same for all of us. So you want to persevere, you want to keep going, because the more you are a Berean, the more you are of doing His will and following what He says, the more reward there will be in heaven for us. So, there's a standard of worship in heaven. If you look at verse 9 there of chapter 4, the four living creatures, the ones who had... The six wings and full of eyes within, we're going to find out what that means too and why they were awarded that and why they're special as the four creatures. That's a uniform of honor that they have of these eyes, give you a hint of things to come. Every time one of these angelic special beings prays God and shouts out, there's order in worship. The rest of the 24 elders always fall down, it says. Every time one of them gives honor and glory to the one on the throne, the elders fall down before the throne and they worship him. Proskeneo, worship means to be on a knee and kiss toward, as you kiss the hand of the one that's in rulership. That's what worship means. Oh yeah, there's precision, there's precise things, it's structure. Just like the word of God has given us structure, For the church and his kingdom. So as the worship team returns on up. I hope that we understand this. And that we have our eyes to see. And our ears to hear these things. And that we follow his word. We worship him as the one who is holy. Holy, holy. And who sits upon the throne. Because that's going to be the focal point when we get there. And that's what we're going to be doing Today we've been exposed to some of the truth of what the king expects from the subjects of his kingdom to be loyal to him and his word because he is fair and just and rewards accordingly as well. It's what he told Thyatira, I give to everyone according to their deeds. So I hope and I pray that this body of Christ, new life in Perrigan, presents new life to everyone in our communities. And I hope that we see how important it is. That our worship is structured and centered around the word of God. Which is kingdom authority from our king of kings. And our Lord of lords. And as we move forward we're going to see some exciting, exciting things. I encourage you to run the race. To finish the course. And to keep the faith. And not only that, to encourage each other. Because there's different times. I used to run cross-country. This wasn't in the notes. When I used to run cross-country, people get tired at different times, don't they, Ron? You might be getting your second wind when somebody else is starting to struggle. And that's the way it is with us in the body as we run that race and we're trying to finish that course. Some of us are on our second wind And what we need to do is to grab that person that's now feeling down a little bit and starting to get tired and haven't got the second wind. We need to grab that person and exhort them and give them energy and be beside of them so that then when it's our turn, somebody else who's now got their second wind picks us up. Let's encourage each other to run this race, to finish the course, to keep The faith and get those rewards that we so desire. And I can't wait until all of us are gathered together praising Him before His throne and we get to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the prodding that we need with both rewards and with some of the the bad things as well. But in all of it, it's for love. You, You told us in the last chapter when we looked at Laodicea, I love you with a different kind of love. I love you with the love of relationship. And I want you to follow me and put your trust in me and not in anyone else. And Father, may we do that here. And may each one of us get to see you face to face and to worship you in Jesus name. Amen.